Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Mondays Down South. We took a little hiatus here uh, over Thanksgiving holiday break. Got to see Cy and Evan actually throw back, went back to our old high school uh, to sure. watch them destroy Briar Woods, uh, Stonebridge sure. Briar Woods in um, the playoffs. So they advance as they get closer to states. But yeah, we were, we were there, not only in spirit, but actually in person. Um, and, uh, that was uh, very nostalgic. And then obviously heading over to the Maroney household, catching up with, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Maroney, obviously shout out, good seeing them too, but, um, exciting topic. Glad to be back too. It's been a while here. So, uh, excited to, to kind of get back into the swing of things with the NFL. Um, obviously lots going on, but so I'll kick it over to you and, uh, really excited about this topic today. This is going to be a good one. Yeah. I appreciate the intro, Zach. It was great seeing you guys, as you mentioned, I think, uh, it's worth noting that, a big part of how this podcast started, how we became, you know, three best buddies now living in different places was as a result of going to those SB games. So, uh, you know, go Bulldogs. And that was pretty amazing. Um, with that being said, I'm going to jump into the topic. Keep it short and simple. The idea came up a few weeks ago when Evan <laughs> was considering the state of his team as Zach and I were pondering ours as well. And I think one thing the three of us can agree on is that for quite a while, um, at least until some of our veterans retired, we have not had a good quarterback for any of our respective teams, or at least a consistently good quarterback. And a conversation that we've had year in and year out is how do you build a team while addressing the quarterback position, right? There's multiple approaches. Do you take an approach where you draft a quarterback high? Do you sign a quarterback for a high amount of money? Do you go with the veteran? Do you go with like a game manager build around them? So the topic today is you are the general manager and you are building a team with the quarterback as your focal point, what are you doing and how are you building around them to achieve success and to be a Super Bowl competitive team? And that's really where we'll start here. And I'm going to tee it over to Evan. He had the initial idea. I think he's going to give us a good perspective on that. And then Zach and I will kind of provide our input after. So go ahead, Evan. The stage is yours. Yeah, good setup, size. So, so like you mentioned, as Commanders and Colts fans especially, we you know have kind of had our Uh, teams try to drop the veteran in after building the rest of the roster. So I feel like through several years of not having good quarterback play, you can probably attest, um, you know, has, has taught us a lot, maybe the better ways to, uh, to build a team and some of the the not so good ways to build a team. So like you mentioned, obviously I think we can all agree. You need a good good quarterback play to, uh, to win in this league. So, so I'm starting this um, kind of setup. Um, from the perspective of a team that doesn't quite have their quarterback um, just yet. So I think the first the first spot is the draft. Um, and the way I'm approaching the draft here is I'm saying, you got to ask yourself two questions every year. One is obviously, where are we picking? Um, and the second is, how many like elite franchise quarterbacks do I think there are in this draft? And I'm talking like, you know, genuinely elite, like, project confidently project to be like pro bowl level quarterbacks in the league. So usually that's like two or three a draft. Right. Um, and my perspective on this is if you are in a position to take either of those guys and you don't have your quarterback yet, 
I don't care what the rest of your team looks like. You take it, right? Even if you have nothing else on the roster and you're starting from ground zero, if you have the chance to get that guy, you take him. I don't care who else is on the board. Like there might be a better value at another position, but you have to get the quarterback. So if you're in a position to get a guy that you can confidently say is going to be like a pro bowler in the future, you take him. So that's usually if you're in the top three, you know, two or three, and you got a couple guys there depending on the, depending on the year. So that's the first one. And then if you don't have that high of a pick, then my strategy is to always take a quarterback every year in the fifth through seventh rounds and just try and get lucky, or maybe you get backups here or there. Um, so that's my next kind of way of just like kind of trying to get lucky, like having guys you can develop and like seeing what happens, but like always taking a stab later in the draft. Um, and then that's kind of the year yearly process. And you just kind of keep building your team from there. And then you get to a point where you say, okay, I have a roster that I think can compete for a Super Bowl in terms of the entire rest of your positions. We can kind of get into like, you know, which positions we value more than others maybe. Um, And then you're just trying to get that quarterback to put you over the hump. So only at that point am I, do I think then you can kind of go out, trade any draft picks, trade all of your resources to either acquire a big name veteran and like, it could be kind of more of a game manager, but ideally, again, it's going to be like a Pro Bowl caliber, like actual stud, not just like a, you know, 15 to 20 level quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. Or you trade all of those resources to move up to the top of the draft and uh, and get that elite, you know, rookie quarterback. And I'm only doing that kind of years down the road once you have the rest of your roster completely ready to go, ready to win a Super mm-hmm. Bowl. Um and that's assuming that none of your kind of fifth through seventh round picks panned out either. Um, and the thing I'm trying to avoid is like the, like those just like random veteran signings, like for the commanders, the Ryan Fitzpatrick's, the, you know, Carson Wentz's, because they're just raising the floor of your team and we're, you know, making your draft capital worse. Um, and they're not going to get you over the hump. And that, you know, I'd rather be playing my fifth round, my random fifth round pick that can, you know, kind of be a tank commander. And, you know, maybe you get lucky or maybe it's a complete bust and you get at the top of the draft next year. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a summary of, of like how I would go about it um, to, you know, try and find that franchise guy, um, you know, which could either you can either kind of get the quarterback at the beginning or. If you don't have that luxury of being at the top of the draft, you can get them at the end. So, but the one thing, I, the one extra point I will make is that I would not trade tons of draft picks unless the rest of my team is ready to go. So, I would not do what the Panthers did, for example, trade all of this, you know, DJ Moore, all these picks to get the quarterback at the beginning because then you're so far away um, and you don't have the resources to build the rest of your roster. So, um, that's my spiel. I don't know which one of you guys wants to jump in and uh, kind of build off that or, uh, you know, challenge some of those. Zach, I'm curious to see what your perspective is, actually. Okay. I was I wanted to see what your, yours was next because I think Evan brings up a multitude of yeah. points based on where you're drafting. Um, so I'm curious mm-hmm. to see what you got. Yeah, so I think, I think for the most part, I agree with you, Evan. I think Evan and I, like we mentioned before, have had very similar situations with our respective teams uh, where – you know, we tried to draft really well in other positions and address those and then try to kind of make shift, fill in the quarterback position, which I guess to a certain extent, it's gotten us to the playoffs. So um, it hasn't made us the worst team in the league, but the problem is it's never truly made us a Super Bowl contender because as good as we were 
as a team overall, uh, we couldn't quite get over the hump because it was too much game management at a certain point. Um, and, you know, you can't be perfect everywhere else. That's just too hard to do. I mean, maybe the one exception is the 49ers. And that's the first time we've seen that in a long time, you know, like, and for them to compete, they need a fully healthy roster, right? For Purdy to be able to be a starter and for them to continue to win the big game. So that's a good example. The one thing I will disagree on is I think you made a good point about if you aren't able to get a top quarterback, like one of the ones you evaluate high, to kind of just punt and try to go with a later round option. So that way, if it does work out, then great. You didn't have to invest a ton of capital. And if it does work out, or if it doesn't work out, then you end up getting to draft high the next year and you're not stuck in the state that, for example, the commanders and the Colts have been for quite a while. The part I do disagree with, though, is I think the Bryce Young situation recently with the Panthers it might create some recency bias with people that might want to you know, approach this in a different lens because, yes, obviously the Panthers gave up a ton and then they ended up not being competitive. So now it looks like they gave up a potential Caleb Williams or Drake May plus DJ Moore plus more, which obviously on paper looks awful when you look back at the, the draft. The flip side of that, though, is if, and to be honest, I'm not completely out on Bryce Young yet. I still think you know it's his rookie year. He's still got plenty of time to develop. If that guy pans out, though, and you do care or you do feel like this is someone that was worth the investment, whoever that quarterback might be, it might not look good the year one or two, but down the road, you're not going to regret it because there is some truth to being able to get in your guy early, even if you suck at the beginning and still being able to slowly but surely build around him because it's much easier to sign a wide receiver or sign a, you know, a defensive player versus versus draft or signing a quarterback, right? So my number one point is after years of watching my Colts struggle with the quarterback position, if you feel like there's a way to go get your quarterback and they're going to be able to represent you for a very long time, you do it. Um, and it's not always going to work out the way that it has for like the Texans and the Colts, for example, where the guy they wanted just fell in their lap. That's not always going to happen. Just make the move if you like the guy. Like next year for teams, like I want Caleb Williams and you got to give up the assets and you feel confident in Caleb Williams, you do it. Even if you feel like you're still going to lose for another year or two because you need to get your guy when you can get him. There's no guarantee you'll end up in that position again. So that's my one thing where I disagree, Evan. Hmm. Zach? Very interesting. I have been thinking about this as both. That's actually kind of what I wanted both of you guys to go beforehand because it's helped solidify my argument in a way. Um, the team I think about that did it the right way, all bias aside, was the Atlanta Falcons back when they drafted Matt Ryan. They went after their quarterback, but um, they had put the uh, pieces in motion to allow him to succeed immediately. So obviously, like a Matt Ryan, Joe Burrow type of player out of college, um, taller guy, big arm, um, accurate quarterback, uh, tons of potential, right? You're going to take those guys and, uh, and obviously take the risk on them. Um, but the reason why I think the Atlanta Falcons back in, you know, I think it was like 20, um, 2008 or something like that, they had a lot of success immediately because they already had their skill position players in place. So Roddy White, Michael Jenkins, um, uh, uh, Tony Gonzalez, they brought in, I guess, the year after, two years after. But they they didn't strand those rookie quarterbacks out for dry. And I think that's what we're seeing with Bryce Young right now. Now, I know the offensive line for Carolina has been a huge disappointment. But when you don't actually go out and get a perennial like wide receiver and know Adam Thielen is not a perennial, perennial wide receiver, um, you're not necessarily like promoting that success. 
And so uh, I've actually been around a people that think that skill position players are very overrated. Um, but I think the recipe for success in terms of getting a quarterback early is to supply him with an A.J. Brown type of player where you go out like Philly did and you overpay for a wide receiver um, and hopefully it works out. And uh, I think another example, too, and I'm not even saying the trade was great, but getting Christian Kirk on a record deal in Jacksonville. Look at the uh, look at the strides that Jacksonville has taken forward because Trevor Lawrence has tons of confidence um, throwing to a wide variety of receivers. So you go out, you kind of get the the guy early, but you supply him with ample playmakers to actually go ahead and, and kind of give him the, the confidence to throw. Um, so I think that was just one point I really wanted to make. A lot of people say skill position players are overrated um, and that it's more you should be gearing towards the offense line or the defense to help, you know, keep the points against down low and actually give you an opportunity to win. But I would disagree because um, the Cincinnati Bengals of a couple of years ago drafting Jamar Chase instead of uh, Panay Sewell, um, I thought was a good reminder of that where they did get a lot of uh, flack. And I was actually one of the people that was chastising them saying, hey, why didn't you go for an in, you know a lineman that will help keep Burrow protected? Um, but what they did is they brought free agents in and uh, kept him relatively protected, but then allowed him to throw to one of the best wide receivers in college football history in Jamar Chase. So I don't think you necessarily need to build the interior um, first. I think the playmakers are an absolute necessity when you are drafting a quarterback early. But I'm curious to kind of get y'all's thoughts on that. Well, let me ask you guys something real quick. Um, you brought up a good point with Trevor Lawrence, Zach, because that's actually a perfect point to my argument, right? Because Trevor Lawrence's rookie year, and and probably by no fault of his own or, or with his own development in mind, playing with Urban Meyer was a, a terrible situation, even though they had some weapons that they added. And the Jacksonville Jaguars looked awful that year, right? Like, they did not look like a team that was going to necessarily bounce back. They righted a lot of things, right? So my point with Bryce Young was, like, that's the question that we have to ask, right? Like, the question is, it's not whether we think Bryce Young is going to be a franchise quarterback or not. It's if he was a franchise quarterback, let's say he's CJ Stroud and they pick CJ Stroud. And, you know, I know Evan, for example, believes CJ Stroud is, you know, a future all pro caliber player. I think we can all agree that he's on that trajectory. If the, if the Panthers trade for CJ Stroud and they get CJ Stroud, he probably won't look as good on the Panthers as he does the Texans because, you know, the coaching maybe isn't as good or maybe the receiving isn't as good. But the flip side of that is all the assets you just gave up. Yeah, maybe he doesn't look good year one or he doesn't look as good as he's capable of. But if let's say in a year or two, Bryce Young starts looking pretty good and they're able to sign that wide receiver because they just traded away DJ Moore's contract. They don't have any money on the books because Bryce Young is on his rookie contract. A lot of the other guys they added around him are on one-year contracts. They're going to have a lot of money to build around him, right? Like whether it's skill positions, whether it's line, whatever we want to talk about. I don't think they'll look back and regret that they traded for Bryce Young. The reason we're, we feel that way now is because it didn't work out year one. The Bears are going to end up with probably number one or number two overall pick, and that's why I think people are so hard on it. So that's really my point with quarterback. And the flip side to y'all is our, like to your argument about not building around the line is Andrew Luck, who you know broke my heart because the reality is Andrew Luck literally carried the team on his back and his shoulder for five years, made us a perennial playoff threat put us in an AFC championship, if not once or twice, won us big playoff games. And the problem was we could never get over the AFC championship hump. 
and get to the Super Bowl. And Luck's career ended early because we could not block for him. And we signed a bunch of old dudes like Frank Gore and Laron Landry around him and did not build around him with the line until it was too late, until we got Ballard and company. So there, I just think there's two sides to the coin, right? You can definitely ruin, like, look at Joe Burrow. He's he just like, he's going to be missing time with the wrist injury. The guys have been hurt almost every year because they haven't built a line around him. Sure. Have they made a Super Bowl run or two? Yes. But did, are they compromising his longevity? Potentially. So that's kind of the way I look at it in terms of the line debate too. I think that's my challenge on why the like kind of Burrow Bryce Young angle is a little bit harder to achieve. I think because like you mentioned, like how long do we think it's going to take the Panthers to actually build up a roster that can actually compete even with Bryce Young, right? Yeah. I mean, like three years, I think, like you said, Cy, right? It's going to take a few years. So then, like, how long are these rookie contracts? Like five, six years you get the guy for? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you probably need to start considering extending him before that, right? You can't, like, let him hit the open market. So, like, really what we're trying to do here is you need to have the team ready while the quarterback is on the rookie contract, um, that's really the key. Like, if you look at, I mean, like the last decade, like it's almost always a team that wins that, like, you know, has a quarterback on their rookie deal. Like Pat Mahomes ended up getting extended um, by that point. Um, and then Stafford was a rare example. But um, I just think by the time the Panthers have built up this team, then you're already in a situation where you need to start thinking about extending Bryce Young. But he's probably not going to be at a point where he's had the tools around him to look like a franchise quarterback yet. So you're in a really weird spot with that. And I think at that point, you've you've kind of lost that window. So like Joe Burrow is an interesting example, like picking Chase kind of allowed them to like catapult like way quicker than we would have expected. Um, but like you guys mentioned now, it's kind of almost maybe coming back to bite them a little bit just uh, from a health standpoint. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of my rebuttal to that. A couple other mistakes I wanted to highlight I think people make is – taking kind of trying to force first round quarterbacks outside of like the top 10 picks. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. like Kenny Pickett looks awful um, is one rest in peace to Wayne Haskins, but like is one that comes to mind where you take him in the middle of the first round and you like, you know, it's like a big project and he's like, yeah, you know, you're not so sold on it, but you try to force it in there. I think that's a huge mistake people make. Um, and then I think I kind of mentioned it earlier, but not taking the quarterback when it's there. Commanders, another example, taking chase young over, Justin Herbert and Tua Tagovailoa is um, oh gosh that hurts now looking back on it with how good uh, good those guys look and despite the fact that Chase was a better prospect I don't even think that's really debatable like you know if you thought Herbert was a franchise quarterback or you thought Tua was a franchise quarterback like I don't have I don't care how big of a prospect the edge or the offensive lineman or the wide receiver is you got to get your quarterback so those are some of the the uh, other big uh, potholes mm. I think I see teams make what. Can I can I present a counter argument to your quarterback prior to or post the top picks? So I would agree with you if this was ten years ago, but the reality is, in my opinion, at least three of the top five, if not top seven, quarterbacks in the NFL are Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Jalen Hurts. None of which were projected as the top two to three quarterbacks or top five picks. I think the state of the league has changed, and the reality is. It's really, it comes down to your evaluating, right? And that's a, it's a cop-out answer because, of course, like if you evaluate better than others, you're going to get the better quarterback. But to be fair, the potential GOAT right now is was not a top pick. And there's a lot of guys that have been picked top five that have not panned out at all, right? Like your Baker Mayfields of the world, your like Rosens. There were so many guys that got drafted top five that 
did not pan out. And even Jared Goff is good, but he's Jared Goff was not nearly as good as where he got drafted. So I think the evaluation of quarterbacks has changed a lot. So that's a huge thing to consider as we as we move forward. Now, the flip side of that is, for example, Anthony Richardson got drafted by the Colts. Five years ago, there is no way Anthony Richardson would have even been a first-round pick, much less a top-five pick, right? The only reason he was capable of being drafted that high was because the state of modern coaching and the NFL has changed. It's no longer can you get the smart six-foot-five, not that these guys aren't smart, but like the smart six-foot-five pocket passer who can walk up to the line and can you try to get the next Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. Now it's the your head coach is in the driver's seat of the offense. Can you get the guy who's got insane talent and put him in front of a coach that can develop? And that's really where it's, the quarterback debate changes for me a little bit because I think the state of how you draft quarterbacks and how you run an offense in the NFL has changed a lot, which also plays the Zach skill position situation, right? Because Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, it didn't matter who they played with. They were smart enough and could maneuver enough in the pocket and had enough like of a role where they were allowed to do that to be able to win and score points with anybody. In the modern NFL, it's way more schemed. It's like you got to get the ball to your playmakers. You got to do this. You got to do that. It's a very different offensive style. So that's that's the one other counterpoint I'll make to that. I, I don't necessarily fully agree with the guy you take at the top is gonna is gonna be the kind of best debate. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. That's, well, that's I agree. It's up, you have to evaluate. It's like which quarterbacks do you personally as a team think are franchise? quarterbacks and yeah maybe you can get lucky and get them a little later right yep. again it's up to 18 but if that guy's on the board you don't like do some best value nonsense and uh and take your guy you know sure at another position i like evan's point about drafting a quarterback in the fourth fifth sixth round something like that and letting him rock uh, th there's something really intriguing by that because if you can look at two qualities about those quarterbacks that would fit that window I would look at big arm and I would look at comp percentage. Um, and so that would rule out a lot of candidates, right? Like uh, Trace McSorley, like incredible college football player, the best Penn State quarterback statistically in the history of that incredible program. I mean, historic program, but Trace doesn't really have a big arm, um, but he, he had a high comp percentage. So he wouldn't actually not fall in this category, but a Sam Howell would. And this is why I actually really like what the commanders are doing. I like that the commanders are uh, have him on a low rookie deal, um, easy extension possibility and when he plays well, which he has statistically played pretty well. I know the team is not playing well, but um, I actually really like what the commanders are doing. Then you draft, you know, you could draft skill position players like they did with Dotson. Maybe, you know, they got Eric Bieniemy. I would hope next year that they he finds a more creative way to get these first round guys uh, more involved in the offense. But overall, you have this quarterback with a big arm, high comp percentage. He's, he's very accurate. Yes, he makes mistakes. He's not going to be your first overall quarterback in the, in the NFL draft, but he's a guy that's a, it's a proven playmaker, keeps your team relatively cheap and allows you to strengthen other parts of your team. So the commander model actually can work. I, I actually applaud them for that. And it actually reminds me of the Philadelphia Eagle model. And I know I'm going to get totally harassed in the comments for saying that, but hear me out. You have Jalen Hurts, who was a third-round quarterback. They spent the rest of their uh, assets, monetary assets, building up their team, strengthening their corners, going out and getting Bradbury as a strong corner number two building that defensive line that's not just tier one, but tier two with Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis and all these guys. Um, 
the ability to re-sign guys like Kelsey and uh, Lane Johnson and, and different players like that, bring in an A.J. Brown to make this offense even more dynamic, draft Devonta Smith in the first round. There, there are things, there are similarities I see with the Commanders and the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'll, I'll give you that and uh, see what you guys do with it. That is becoming my favorite strategy is the late quarterback. Hertz is kind of in the middle, like I said, five through seven. He wasn't five through seven, but like, and Brock Purdy. I mean, the Niners are the best example. Obviously they have Kyle Shanahan, but like Mr. Irrelevant, their team is so loaded, which, you know, again, it's going to be hard for another team to achieve that level of roster around him. Um, but at that point, you can just, you know, you can drop your quarterback in at the end of the round. And obviously Tom Brady is the, uh, the quintessential example here of a late round quarterback that pans out. So. The flip side of that, though, is the, the cases that you guys are presenting are so specific because the reality is that's exactly what the commanders and the Colts have tried to do for like five years now. We've drafted linemen. We've tried to address other positions. and We've tried to plug and play the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. And I don't see a big difference between going, oh, let's sign a veteran on the market or let's add a fifth, sixth, seventh rounder because how many Jalen Hurts have we seen in in – the history of the NFL, or at least in the time that we've watched it, the third round quarterback that comes in and becomes a perennial or potential MVP is different. And then the Purdy example is in San Francisco, like you alluded to with Kyle Shanahan, who literally will win with one of us. Like it's ridiculous how good he is at maneuvering and how he finds talent. And that is just not a line that we can expect everyone to achieve. Right. My perspective in this argument is, or in this conversation of how you build is, if you're in the position of the commanders of the Colts, what would you do, right? Because the Colts and commanders have tried to do that year in and year out. And the commanders and Colts have cycled through quarterbacks for years. And the flip side of that is you look at the Panthers, right? We're all going to flame the Panthers if, if you know, the Bears get a top two pick. They got DJ Moore, and I get it. But the flip side is hindsight bias is so strong there because the Panthers were in that top 10 range. They have for five years – if not longer, been trying to tread water with a late-round quarterback, as we alluded to, or a veteran Cam Newton or some random scrub at quarterback. And they had guys like McCaffrey. They had guys like DJ Moore. It was doing nothing for them. They built a defense, or at least they thought they built a defense. It was doing nothing for them. And what did they do? They were in a position to be in top 10. Do we think they should have missed the opportunity to potentially draft a franchise quarterback who they thought was a franchise quarterback? and take somebody else? No, they did exactly what we just alluded to. They went for the guy that they thought would put them over the hump. I just think it's too easy to say we can go with the fourth to seventh rounder and hope it pans out because the reality is there's a lot of teams that have tried to build around guys that aren't good. And I will give credit where credit's due. I think Howell's got real potential to be a very good quarterback or at least above a league average quarterback you know, going forward because he's shown signs of that already. However, he's few and far between. And even with them, uh, obviously they made a couple of trades and they do need to improve. It's not like the commanders are, are devoid of skill position players or devoid of talent on their team. Like we're, and, and it's not like they're consistently winning, right? So I don't want to compare them to the Eagles for that reason because the Eagles are, one, coach 10 times better, and two, their personnel uh, they've developed in a different way than the commanders have. That's, that's all I'll say there. My challenge to your points there is this is the first time the commanders have done it in years. They never drafted late in the round. They always try to plug and play with a veteran instead. Um, the Colts did a similar thing with Sam Ellinger, who, if you gave him a longer leash, obviously I don't, you know, he wasn't good, but um, that's, a, you know, they, they kind of had that idea at some point as well. 
Um, and this is the other, you have to do it every year. Cause I agree your hit rate on this is going to be so low. So that's why you just like keep funneling them every year. Some of them might turn into backups, maybe practice squad guys, but it's like the value of a fifth to seven round pick is like, you know, it's deep down the roster. So you, ju you just keep, keep plugging at it every year. Um, because like, again, I mean, I think that the Panthers, like they went from how many wins did they have Zach last year, like seven wins, they weren't a bad team. And then they give up all this to get Bryce young and then. Now they're a, you know, worst team in the NFL. So part of that is, you know, the coaching firing as well and kind of the mess they're created there. But um, yeah, I just think it's, uh, you know, it's too much to give up unless you, the rest of your team is already ready to go. It's going to set you back too far. Well, let me ask you this, guys. I think maybe the best strategy going back to the Falcons model is draft the quarterback early, build a, build a bunch of offensive skill positions around him and then play subsidized defense. So as opposed to trying to get your defense up and running, um, you it's kind of like the Kansas City model as well, where you build this offensive system, and then you, you know, your defense isn't that great now, albeit the Kansas City Chiefs defense has really stepped up this season. Um, but under mo normal years, you know, they give up 20, but they score 30. And uh, a good, uh, you know, another good example, um, Falcons 2016, when they made that Super Bowl run, where they just cashed out offensively. Devonta Freeman on a big deal. Julio Jones, they brought other receivers in. Matt Ryan um, was, you know, obviously being paid a tremendous amount of money then. But it's like you get the guy, you draft the guy in the top five or top <laughs> ten, but then you almost overload on skill position players and you forego the defensive talent. Now, what happens when that when that occurs? Uh, you don't get the San Francisco 49ers. You don't get guys like Fred Warner and, uh, you know, all of the different 49er personnel that are so scary on that defensive front. But you do get an offensive powerhouse, and you can always find good corners here and there to, I guess, uh, cover some of the wounds. But what are your thoughts on the subsidized defense draft QB early play? I like that. I like that modification of if you are taking the start with the quarterback approach, like if you, you know, have a horrible roster, but find yourself in the top two picks in the draft and you got a guy there and you take him, I think it makes sense to then start to build around the offense um, and, you know, get him an offensive line, get him weapons, um, and then hope you can fill the gaps on defense later. So uh, I'll agree with you there. Yeah. If you start with the quarterback, then that's the, probably the way to go. Yeah. I 100% agree with that, Zach, assuming you hit on your quarterback, right? Like if you get a good quarterback, Cincinnati is also your perfect example of that because the reality is and what I've noticed more recently is it is – I won't say easier, but good GMs do a much better job of evaluating late – not late, but post-first-round defensive picks. There are so many good secondary players and linebackers and, and players like that that – you can draft in like the third or fourth round and can be legitimate NFL starters if you're able to scout right, right? Like there's plenty Darius Leonard who just got cut, like guys on the Chiefs, like Bates and, and company, or not uh, Chiefs, the Bengals. There's a lot of guys that these teams have built a really solid defense around where they've used later round draft picks. So it's much easier to build a defense with later round draft picks than it is, in my opinion, to build your offense, like your quarterback and your wide receiver. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. The other thing also is, I agree with everything you say, assuming you are willing to dish out the resources for one, at least one disruptive pass rusher. I think you need that. I don't think you can 
succeed without at least one guy that can blow up on the deep, like the offensive line a little bit. Cause that completely changes the, the, you know, the chiefs are a perfect example. They got one guy that can blow up the line and then the rest of their defense is just solid young guys that move. Well, I agree with you. I think that's a really good perspective. Yeah. Like yeah. It. So I think the, the good modification to that was, um, if you know, you, the, I guess I should say the stipulation was the quarterback has to be a hit. And yeah. so I guess if I could revise, I think the best strategy from a GM standpoint in the, in the NFL is to draft the quarterback early to build skill position players around him offensively, but did not do it immediately. The Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts had to prove himself for two years before they said, okay, we'll go ahead and get AJ Brown. Like we need to make sure that he can at least, um, you know, do with what he has and yeah. excel to a certain degree. No one really thought Jalen Hurts was that incredible until they started to draft Devonta Smith in the first round, bring A.J. Brown in as well, and trade draft picks for him. They they needed to see a little bit from Jalen Hurts before they completely committed to him. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the system works and the ideology of draft quarterback early um, and then bring uh, bring a lot of offensive skill position players to him once he's proven himself um i think that's probably the one revision i would make i think that's the best strategy you could possibly uh, and and you're 100 percent right because he also had to win the locker room because you remember that when i did that little tank thing at the end of that season with wentz and uh they didn't want to win the game or whatever it was and everybody in the locker room said like we got hurts back like if you intangibles i used to think it was corny but they're a real thing it's the difference between like drafting zach wilson who has insane arm talent but doesn't have the pedigree or the ability to, to win his, you know, players respect, which will never get you anywhere. Right. So I definitely think that the character aspect of it, like CJ Stroud got so much flack, but the reality is, is like his teammates love him and people have always said good things about him as a teammate. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's, that's super important for a quarterback at least. Right. Especially when you're young, you need your veterans to respect you. Yeah. We move on to recaps. Yeah, it's a great conversation, yeah. guys. Yeah, it was, that was great a great conversation. conversation. Yeah. It's one of our classic arguments. I figured you get dig up for a podcast topic, or, or not arguments, but uh, we tend to be on the same page. But love it. Um, I guess first uh, recap we got. So we got to go all the way back to Thursday with three games. But um, I didn't actually watch this one. But a uh, pretty surprising outcome: the Packers go on the road and beat Detroit. The Packers are starting to play well, specifically Jordan Love. Um, is starting to play a whole lot better than he was earlier in the season, and uh, the, the Lions are a disappointment here. So I think this is an interesting outcome for uh, for both sides. Uh, the Packers trending up and potentially pushing to a wild card spot, and then the Lions uh, regressing off of their uh, top four stanchion that I had the bond building into this game. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pat myself lightly on the back for that one because I just had a weird gut feeling of the Packers. We're going to pull this one out against the Lions. I've been saying, man, the Lions keep getting a little too much love. And I love the Lions. Like, they're super easy to root for. I want them to be successful. But I just think they're getting a little too much hype already. Um, They've had a couple of really close games with teams that they should not have been close against. For example, Chicago, who had no business even being in last night's game. The Lions almost lost to them. So this is another example. But to be fair, I agree with you, Evan. I think the uh, Packers, Jordan Love, Jalen Reed, Watson's getting more involved. That team's starting to look a lot better. Um, it kind of feels like a lot of young guys are starting to figure it out together now. Um, not saying they're going to be like Super Bowl threats, but they definitely can make some noise going forward. So happy about that. 
I'll give a quick shout out. Steelers Bengals game 16-10. Not sure if you guys watched any of this, but I thought the end was hilarious. The season high 421 yards the moment Matt Canada gets bounced out of there. So uh, Steelers have some playmakers, and it seems like um, they were able to let loose a little bit on the field, get another win. And Ev, I guess our prediction about the Steelers is correct because they're seven and four right now. It's we are crushing it on that too. It is the most absurd seven and four that I've ever seen. And I love that you gave him credit for winning 16 to 10 against the backup quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. So but th- this is what, like, just because it's not pretty doesn't mean it's not impressive. That they're, what are they, seven, what'd you say, seven and four now? Um, yeah, now, I will I will say, I actually watched that entire game because it was the local game. And I think we had bet on it, or um, I don't know, for maybe fantasy impatience or something. But um, it was anything Warren, actually, yeah, yeah oh, right, Warren. Um, Kenny Pickett actually played really well. He looks like one of his best games of the year. Um, they kept shooting themselves in the foot. Like Warren had a bad fumble, like just a, you know, maybe a missed field goal or something like just things here or there that like, you know, were really problematic and kept points off the board. But like you said, their offense actually looked good despite only putting up 16 points um, against the Bengals. And we know what the defense can do, obviously holding, you know, Browning to 10 points was expected. So this- I, they they deserve more love. I, like I get it's not pretty, it's not sexy, no, but like they win football games. They win football games, and that's uh, you know like the Chargers, for example, are the complete opposite of the Steelers. If anyone if anyone deserves love, it's Mike Tomlin in that defense. I give that offense zero love. The fact that offense should be like buying steak dinners for their defensive players, Mike Tomlin, every single day of the week. Because if it wasn't for them, that team would literally be like. Two and whatever. That's why I'm not impressed. I'm not trying to take away from the Steelers as a whole, but your your guys' take at the beginning of the season was that Kenny Pickett was going to turn into some stud this year, and that George Pickens is better than Garrett Wilson and someone else. So I'm not going to let you guys pat yourself yes. on the back until I see their offense be good. So don't don't think I'm let you have that. One. Well, well, no, we specifically said the team was good and going to make the playoffs, though, which is a terrific take. I I am disappointed in Pickett. Uh, he looks bad, but he looks a lot better. Um, offense is trending up, though. Offense is trending up after this game. So, uh, and they're like a shoe in we'll for see. the playoffs at this point. They're like a shoe in for the playoffs at this point. Um, we'll see. I, I'm saying it's a lock. Uh, it's a lock that they make the uh, the top seven in the AFC. Um, Ooh, that's a bold. That's a bold statement. Yeah, put it in ink right now. They're making the playoffs. Um, okay. What, what's uh, what do you guys got? Jags Texans was um, probably the biggest game I can think of of the. Uh, of the weekend, other made Bills Eagles. I was ride the Texans here. I thought this was a big opportunity, uh, you know, to them to get a win at home, tie up the division, actually take the lead in the division with a tiebreaker. Um, they just couldn't quite pull it out. The uh, the kick that could have sent it to overtime off the front of the crossbar kicker gets cut after missing that. Um, just a tough game. I thought you know Trevor played better. He did make a bad interception, but Trevor was good. Strad was good. Um, the Texans just left some points on the board. I think they're throughout the game, but um, yeah, this was a, this was a good one. I think another game too. Uh, Cy, um, Cy, uh, Saints and Falcons. Um, that game I feel like relates to our topic in that the Saints experiment maybe is not working. Where you have a lot of veteran players, you bring in a veteran QB and Derek Carr who. You know, he's got some street cred, and he's accurate. He's got the big arm. But, man, they are, they just look out of sync constantly. And this was a prime opportunity for the Saints to dominate that division and show everyone, okay, we are the NFC South team. We're the NFC South champs here. 
But the Falcons right off the bat, using their skill position players, B. John Robinson, Drake London, they actually threw to Kyle Pitts. So I think Arthur Smith is listening to this podcast, Kuna, because uh, he is uh, he's listening to you and taking some of your advice to actually play and throw the ball to your first round uh, draft pick. So I'm not sure if you guys saw that one, but uh, shout out Falcons for uh, the NFC South division leaders. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a quick comment on both of what you guys said. One, isn't it amazing that when you when the fans' advice is better than the coaches, and it's literally just to give the ball to the guys that you drafted high and see what happens, and of course you win football games. That seems a little obvious, but good for Arthur Smith, I guess. He's holding on to that leash a little bit longer. And then the other thing I'll say is Jacksonville stole the class of the AFC South, and I've said that from the get-go, and I stand by that. I don't care if there's missed opportunities in this and that. The reality is they. I just think they're the better team, and, and I trust them more. And I think – they were almost a one seed. The Chiefs winning is the only reason they're not. So I got to give a shout out to the Jags. They continue to impress. And also we're on the AFC South. You know, we're a middling team, but I got to give props to my team. Six and five, after losing the guys that we've lost, we had JT out for like four games. We lose Anthony Richardson a couple games in. Somehow we're managing to win. Minshew doesn't look particularly great, but our defense has been great when they've been given the opportunities. And I'm really proud of guys like Pittman and them like p- picking up their paces to go along. So we're actually in the wild card now, which is crazy. I don't know what's going on with these other, other AFC teams that you're letting my Gardner Minshew Colts in, but Shane Steichen is putting on a coaching masterclass. So keep looking out for that guy. I got a lot of love for that guy. I'm, I'm really proud of them. The least talked about playoff team. I think I mentioned not, I guess not on the podcast, but when we were in person, I was like, do people like not realize that the Colts are actually like kind of in the mix here? And now they're not even in the mix. They're in the top seven. Um, we are. What was, we are uh, out Jonathan Taylor. Oh, oh yes. The Falcons. Yeah, that's uh, um, potentially problematic. The Falcons, though, they're still winning with defense, though. Like they scored 24 sure. points and one of them was a pick six. So I'm not going to give the offense sure. too much credit here. Um, they're still doing a bad quarterback play, but, uh, yeah, the Falcons defense, man, I told you at the beginning of the year, it's not bad. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, but the saints are a mess. The saints are definitely a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, the giant, did anyone see the giants Patriots setting? I just thought that was hilarious. The, mm-hmm. 10-7, <laughs> the Patriots have like a 35 yard field goal to tie it up and set it in overtime and the just awful New York weather. And he absolutely clanks it. Um, Tommy DeVito is what is that making two and one as a starter? <laughs> yeah, I'm actively I'm actively trying to avoid watching those two teams for for my sanity. Flip side of that though, Evan is you really wanted to bet on the Cardinals because you kept talking about the Rams being terrible and they absolutely destroyed the Cardinals. So I'm very glad we did not. That was eye opening. Yeah. yeah, the Cardinals. You'd think they'd get a little better with Kyler and uh, Connor back, but uh, that did not come true. I guess the, uh, the Rams. I, I I still don't think they're very good, but they did put a bludgeoning on them, so yeah. tip the cap. Tyron Williams, fantasy god. Um, Stud, man. Stud. What else we got? The obvious one, which is Eagles-Bills. I guess um, we're there now. What yeah, a can... game. Like, what an insane game. I got to give it listen. Josh Allen put that entire team on his back and somehow managed to – almost single-handedly keep pace with the Eagles. This felt like that Kansas City um, game from the playoffs like a couple of years ago. This is the ceiling of when he's playing great, like how well that offense can play, even when Stephon Diggs wasn't particularly great this weekend. But the reality is their defense needs to do more. And I will say that one bad pick that he threw kind of 
did him in a little bit, but regardless, that was an amazing game from Josh Allen. Flip side of that though, Jalen Hurts just got that clutch gene. I mean, winners win. That's that's the way I look at it. Y'all, y'all, please provide your analysis though, because this game was too good to say two things about. Yeah, this is one of the best regular season games in a long time. And this is this is the Buffalo Bills we expect, which is, yeah. yes, a team that looks like they can beat anyone on any given day. This is one of those games where like you cannot tell me that Lamar Jackson is better than Josh Allen after like watching this game. Like just like I mean, he was absurd. Again, he still makes some 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 bad plays here or there. But um I think Tony Romo said it best on the on the broadcast. Some teams have championship DNA and some teams don't. The Bills do not. Um we've seen it the last three years in the playoffs, as Sai's been mentioning for years. This was another game. The Bills, they look like they can and should beat any team in the league on any given day, but they'll always find a way to lose. And they did it again here. Um, and the Eagles were the complete opposite. The Eagles, it might not always look pretty, but they're always going to find a way to win, almost, except for maybe against the Chiefs, um, who similarly have that uh, championship DNA. So shout out Jake Elliott, too, who's like the most clutch kicker in the league. That was an insane kick. He does it every – he never – it's it's always 50-plus, and he never misses those clutch kicks. It's wild. And that was in, like, the pouring rain. Like, the weather was horrible. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, speaking of another team that doesn't have the DNA to finish, the Chargers and the Ravens uh, Sunday night football <laughs> game, uh, the Chargers just looked just absolutely lost. And Brandon Staley, he needs to be the next coach that's fired. I'm sorry. Like, the fact that Frank Reich was the first, that kind of makes sense. But Brandon Staley has had one too many opportunities. He's starting to snap at def- at uh, reporters. He's starting to lose his mind over here, and they cannot seem to win a football game. Now, I will give the Ravens credit. Um, and, Evan, you have mentioned Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson in the same sentence. I actually think that they're both perfectly appropriate for their own teams. Josh Allen's style of play makes sense on the Bills' offensive scheme. Lamar, he I just can never imagine another quarterback in a Ravens uniform after Lamar because he is so iconic for that entire organization, that offensive scheme. Um the Baltimore Ravens are humming right now, and I would not – I bet you they're the best team right now in the NFL, hands down. Whoa. The Baltimore Ravens are a better team than the Chiefs. The, the Baltimore Ravens are better than the Eagles, and I strictly think because of defensive play, the Baltimore Ravens play like a unit. Like I, I can feel when I watch them that they all play in unison. They play together, and uh, they're encompassing these rookie talents like Zay Flowers – Bateman's doing his thing. Odell Beckham is having a resurgent career, and it's all under Lamar Jackson's leadership. This team, the heart and soul of this team is Lamar Jackson and Coach Harbaugh, and you can feel it in Raven Nation. So hats off to Baltimore. They are the best team in the NFL right now. I I like the hot take, though. I mean, I really do. I mean, and to be fair, it's not as hot anymore because of the fact that uh, because of the fact that they've won pretty convincingly in, in multiple games. So I'll give you where credit's due out there. They're right up there for me, but I still got uh, 49ers and, and Eagles up there with the Chiefs right there with them. Still ahead of the Ravens by a little bit, but those are definitely top four, top five. Um, the other thing I'll say too is I was laughing at your Romo uh, comment, Evan, because if anyone knows what it's what it's like to not have a championship DNA, it's Tony Romo and the Cowboys. So that is actually hysterical that he made that comment. Um <laughs> And with that being said, the other thing I want to point to is, speaking of championship DNA, the Broncos have just won six games in a row, guys. Like, I mean, listen, I'm not saying that they're they're great, but Ev, your take is looking a little bad right now, man. You've been roasting them. They're six and for five. two years. 
But I said this last year too. Whatever we thought they were going to the playoffs. So I mean, well, no, no. You're, you're right yeah. last year, but I'm just saying this year you said yeah. they're going to be just as bad or or you know, and on that same level. And they're six and five. And if you look at their recent wins, these are not like these aren't just joke wins. They beat the Bills. They beat the Chiefs. They beat the Vikings. They just beat, I mean, not that the Vikings are amazing, but you know, this is when Dallas was still playing well. And then they they the Browns weren't even close, even with a backup. So the Broncos are red hot right now i mean i gotta i'm not saying they're gonna continue this momentum through the season but i gotta give credit where credit's due because obviously we've given them a lot of flack so i just want to point that out yeah they're playing i mean well i mean they played dorian uh was it thompson robinson or whatever who's like you know Mm -hmm. like fifth round rookie so um but i mean I've, i've come back on them i mean i've said they've been playing well so you know i think i'm reading the broncos well right now i think i'm reading them but yeah tip the cap to them you know Sean Payton, man, he's looking a lot better after his comments early in the year. I'd say that much. It's not like their roster is very different. Yeah, we'll see. What was uh, I had one more point on the? Um... Oh yeah, the chart. Uh, the Ravens. Come on, the Ravens did not look good at all in that game, in my opinion. Like I agree. The the uh, the Chargers used to be a good team that couldn't finish, and mm-hmm. then now they're just a bad team. Like they're like they're not good this year at all. They also can't finish, but they're like just generally not like they're not a good team. Period. And the Ravens, I thought, looked terrible. Um, they're a defense first team. Like that's why uh, Lamar and Josh, you say, are perfect for their respective teams because Lamar doesn't have to do nearly as much. Um, the Ravens' defense is elite, um, but uh, I, I I do think they're the best team in the AFC right now. I'll give you that. Um, but I'm not buying them as a uh, Super Bowl uh, Super Bowl contender. I'm just. I think they'll. I think they'll choke in like the AFC Championship. Their offense is still good in a very different way. Just because they aren't a pass-heavy offense does not mean they don't have the capability to beat teams up on the ground game. Tackling Lamar Jackson, trying to tackle Keaton Mitchell, and Keaton Mitchell and how quick and elusive he is. Trying to tackle Gus Edwards in the in the red zone when he's running you over. They even have Justin Justice Hill as a third pay, change of pace. Say Flowers looked great this weekend. Likely had a good game with Andrews out. Like I'm not, I'm not just about to come out here. I don't know why there's bubbles on my screen. I'm not about to come out here and uh, make assumptions that the Ravens aren't capable. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That's crazy. Yeah. Why are there bubbles? Here? Yeah, that was weird. Uh, but I, I yeah. still think I don't think you're giving the Ravens enough credit for their offensive abilities, Evan. You don't have to throw for 400 yards to be a good offense. Sure, but yeah, regardless, we go on to picks. Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right, this is a, a fascinating standings here. We have a new leader this week, gentlemen. Uh, Zach, you have retaken the lead um, after an eleven-three week eleven since we missed last week. You have a one-game lead on me, and uh, I have a one-game lead on Sai. So we're all within two games of each other. It is just absolutely wild at the moment. Um. Week 13, we got six teams on by, so only 13 games this week. Uh, starting it off Thursday night football, Seattle at Dallas. Uh, Dallas is a nine-point favorite at home. Uh, we will start with uh, Cy. Cowboys win and cover. All right, Zach? I think the Seahawks will cover the nine, so give me Cowboys money line. But uh, I see a backdoor cover here, and I actually my favorite – uh, pick a little prop pick for our uh, for our audience here. Geno Smith over twenty point five completions. That's a staple. Lock it in, folks. 
Against the Cowboys. That's bold, Zach. I like it. Yeah, I don't think the Seahawks are going to make the same level of uh, like awful turnovers and such that most teams make against the Cowboys. So I'll say Cowboys win, but don't cover. Um, next game, Chargers at Patriots. Chargers are a six-point favorite on the road. Let's start with Zach here. Give me the Chargers to win and cover, minus six. All right, here's my crazy, insane pick of the week. New England wins this game outright. Brandon Staley gets fired after the game, and oh. Bill Belichick is the coach of the Chargers next week. I'll give you all three of those. Um, Thanks, sir. It all starts by impressing his uh, future ownership team with a win at home um, this week. I love it. Yeah, thank, thanks for letting me uh, catch up on the standings there. I've I got go Chargers win and cover. <laughs> um, next game, Arizona at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's a five-and-a-half point favorite at home. I got Pittsburgh winning cover here. Cy? Uh, I'll go Pittsburgh wins, but no cover. Sack. Pittsburgh wins, but no cover. Next game, Colts at Titans. Uh, Colts are a one-point favorite on the road. As I mentioned earlier, Jonathan Taylor's out. Um, let's start, uh, I'll start us off. I, I, uh, one of my favorite spreads of the week, actually, although I, I came up with that conclusion before I realized John Taylor had surgery, but I still love uh, Colts winning cover here. Zach Colts winning cover. All right. My, my boys so cover. Will, will select his, uh, his team here. Uh, next game, Denver at Houston. Houston is a three and a half point favorite at home. Well, let's start with Zach. This is a tough game because Denver's defense has played much like how we thought Denver would start the season, just fierce, dominant with uh, Patrick Sertan and company. I'm going to keep that ride going. Give me Denver wins seven in a row or six in a row, whatever it is, and uh, they. I'm going to give a money line too, Denver money line. What do you got, Evan? Um, I have Denver money line as well. I think there's going to be a little hangover wow. from that tough loss for Houston. Wow. I think Denver's going to go in there and win the football game. All righty, gentlemen. I guess we're three for three on that one. Hey. We're all going Denver this weekend. Jeez. Oh, wow. Um, okay, then. Uh, next game, Detroit at New Orleans. Detroit um, is a four-point favorite on the road. Um, one note here is that now the entire Saints receiving core is potentially out. We know Michael Thomas is out. Uh, Rashid Shahid, I think, is likely out. Chris Olave got a concussion in the last game, so I think there's a decent chance he's out as well. So um, so with all that said, um, let's start with Zach. Yeah, Lions win and cover this one. It's going to be a good response for Dan Campbell and crew, even though they're on the road. Sai? Yeah, I mean, you said four and a half, right? Uh, four, even. Yeah, that's that's my favorite pick of the week. Lions win cover. I have Lions winning cover. It's going to be tough on the in the Superdome on the road, but they have a couple extra days to get uh, get prepared as well with the Thanksgiving game. So, um, next game: Atlanta at the New York Jets. Atlanta is a three point favorite on the road. Let's start with Cy. Atlanta winning cover. Concur. Atlanta winning cover. Atlanta winning cover for me too. I think schematically they're. They're going to be able to get past this great New York Jets defense. All right, next game, Miami at Washington. Miami's a nine-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Uh, start with Zach. Now, this is this is tough. I, I want to pick Miami win and cover, and I, and I probably will, but I think the commanders are going to play tremendously better than they did last week. 
Uh, give me Miami win and cover, though. Nine and a half. Sai? Miami win and cover. Yeah, I'll say the defense plays inspired behind uh, the firing of Jack Del Rio, and they managed to cover the uh, the nine and a half. Um, but Miami wins. Um, um, next game, 4 o'clock, Carolina at Tampa Bay after firing Frank Reich and several of the offensive coaches. Tampa Bay is a five-point favorite at home. This is another one I like a lot. I think um, a lot of times teams play well after firing their coach, but I think it's such a dumpster fire in Carolina that everyone's just shut it down. So I think this is an easy uh, Tampa Bay winning cover. What's the spread? Five. Zach? Yeah, Tampa, Tampa Bay winning cover. Oh, sorry. This is my favorite spread of the week, Tampa Bay winning cover. It is Baker Mayfield retribution week. He is going to be coming out for blood, and plus it's in Tampa Bay, so Tampa Bay winning cover for sure. Love that nugget. Zach? Um, next game, San Francisco at Philly game of the week, maybe the game of the year. Um, let's, uh, and this is a fascinating spread gentlemen. It is San Francisco three point favorites on the road going to the link. They have a couple extra days to prepare since they plan on Thanksgiving as well. Um, so let's, uh, let's start with Cy on this one. San Francisco winning cover. Uh, Zach Eagles money line and Eagles start quick. I love it. One thing, I, the thing I want to say about this game is anyone that has the nonsense opinion that the Niners would have won the playoff game last year um, had Brock Purdy and the other quarterback not gotten knocked out. You got to cut that out right now. Now I, I, I find it. Oh God, this is, it's going to be an interesting game. I, I have to ride the Eagles um, until I see otherwise. Would not be surprised if this is the game where I see otherwise, but um, I think it's kind of wild to not, uh, you know, not uh, favor the Eagles here until we've, uh, you know, we've seen them uh, get beaten. Um, next game, uh, Cleveland at the LA Rams. Rams are three and a half point favorites at home. It seems there's potential that Joe Flacco is starting for the Browns, which would be fascinating. So um, I'll take the Rams, the Rams to win and cover. Rams win and cover. Rams win and cover. Um, Sunday night football, Kansas City at Green Bay. Kansas City's a six and a half point favorite on the road. Let's start with Zach. Chiefs win and cover on the road. Sigh. Chiefs win and cover. And speaking of player props, Jordan loves completion. Completions um, pick for player props is hit for, I think it's been five out of the last six weeks or four out of the last five weeks because he's throwing the ball a lot more and completing a lot more. Now, the other thing I will say is I don't know if they'll move the lineup, but that is one of my favorite picks of the week if they don't move it too much. I have the Kansas City win, but no cover. Green Bay is playing playing, um, fantastic. They played on Thursday, so they have more time to prepare. I'll say it's a very, very difficult game for the Chiefs here. Um, but they find a way in Lambeau too. Um, mm. Monday night football, Cincinnati at Jacksonville. Jacksonville is an eight point favorite at home facing Jake uh, Browning. I got Jacksonville winning cover. Close it out. Same. Same. All right. That is easy enough. Any last words, gentlemen, before we uh, indulge in week 13? No, sir. I think we may have all picked almost everything the same except for like one or two games. So this was a very, uh, very uh, down the line kind of pick gentlemen, but I'm, I'm here for it. Let's do this. Oh, wow. Great week yeah. as always. You're right. There's only two, two differences, which is my 
completely random pick of the Patriots and Desai picking the Niners. So, how oh, dear. One of those is not like the other. Sai <laughs> Sai might be able to pass me this week. I don't know. We'll see. Anything else? We shall see. Yes, indeed. All right. That was Monday's Down South.